Welcome, and thank you for joining the Unbiased Label Podcast with your host, Zara Karutz. On this podcast, we have real talk meant to inspire change with thought-provoking conversation at the intersection of industry and academia focused on fashion and culture. This episode is a conversation with Indian-born, Bali-based Mukul Bhatia, who is an award-winning visual artisan focused on sustainability, travel, and fashion. Mukul has been featured in Forbes, The New York Times, GQ, and TEDx. Recently, he was awarded the coveted prize of Cosmopolitan India's 2020 Blogger Award for Sustainable Fashion Influencer of the Year. Please join us as we talk about the art of wanderlust and boundless living, the act of honest curiosity, globalized culture, the calling of becoming an artist, and his home country of India. Thank you so much for joining and please enjoy the conversation. Zara, how have you been? I'm good. How are you? I've been good. I just arrived from this crazy, uh, kind of like a trip across the entire island. And yeah, it's like coming back to reality. Are you in Bali right now? I'm still in Bali, yes. That's wonderful. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you. You are a shining ray of light and <laughs> a, a source of joy. So this will be a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Zara. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and talking to you. I want to say congratulations on being awarded Cosmopolitan India's 2020 Sustainable Fashion Influencer of the Year Award. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. To be honest, I still don't know how to process it. Like <laughs> I was surprised, honestly, when I was nominated. Because I know the people who won the award in the last few years. And there were 2.5 million follower kind people. And I have a humble community of like 42,000 very quality humans. Like I think I have friends. And I, I share myself with them as vulnerable sometimes i'm talking literally about my uh thoughts about life and death on internet so how does one win an award like that i don't even know actually because like my career has been such a circuitous route of uh kind of like self-discovery channelized onto work that could be called activism or it could be called creative expression but just getting to know that i had a nomination was actually quite surprising because i really do not um, connect to the idea of being called an influencer in the first place or a blogger but like just knowing the nomination was a bit surprising and then I wasn't even there and uh, it just showed up so I, I think that it's all about being true to yourself and expressing what you think is right because that's literally what I'm doing there's no like particular path that I took except really just sharing the work that I create. Living like this enabled me and it's mostly going to enable other things and other projects. So yeah. You made a conscious decision to just travel the world. Is this right? Before the pandemic exploded, I was definitely traveling 11 months a year for my travels and like my work. Uh, when I was 21, I just passed up my journalism school where I did photojournalism and uh, I 
intentionally explored the country for seven months because I think it's it's kind of rude to be anywhere in the world if you don't know your own country and not based on the news you see or the media you see, but to see it firsthand. And as a journalist, I felt like this was my opportunity to connect to India for what it truly is. So yeah, it was an intentional decision of being seven months sort of like a sabbatical, but work sabbatical where I create my work. It started from there. So yeah, it wasn't like I knew what I'd be doing 10 years down the line, but that's where it started. And it was like seven months of basically exploring an area of like living in the war to uh, being in the Osho hippie commune in Goa to actually living with nomadic people. So yeah, it was a work in progress and it still is, I guess. Your work has been seen all over, including the New York Times, from this from this journey that you've been on because of your photojournalism. And so you go into these communities and you travel. You've, what, been for, 48 different countries? Yeah, I have been living in, I won't say traveling, I've been living in different parts of the world and actually exploring. It just turned out to be interesting stories that were, that were important to be told. And my perspective and my voice is more different from the mainstream media. The storytelling that you capture yeah. of living within these communities are very powerful and they're beautiful at the same time. They're really quite gorgeous. I could see why you're getting recognition for your work as an artist because it's beautiful and it's powerful. One of the pictures that I love is you're sitting in a doorway and there's a boy behind you and there's a goat and his shoes are off and they're sitting kind of like next to you. Right. Yeah, that was actually, it was shot in uh, Bandhavgar, which is a national reserve. And it's a place of tigers where tigers actually hang around. The village community is actually one of the most uh, oldest indigenous communities where I was living in that house for about a week and trying to document and learn the life of people who appreciate the tigers who live there as a form of literally everything. It's like a whole mythology and celebration and festivals and even clothes are based around the tigers. So, yeah, that was what the picture was. And you have a great eye, by the way. Uh, it's one of my favorites one because it was so, like, genuine. I was leaving at that point when the photograph was kind of, like, put on a tripod. It was a self-portrait with this little kid called Ram who became, like, best friends in the week. So, yeah, that was what it was. So there's a lot of power in what you're telling. And that's because you're truly connecting to these amazing places that most people don't travel to, to be quite honest. That's true, but I'm so glad to be able to, I would say that to everyone who's listening, that it's so good to actually take off the charted path. When Forbes magazine actually put it that Mukul actually goes to places which are not found on Google Maps, and I was like, how do they know? That's true, because like, <laughs> I've been to places where Google Maps is like kind of like a question mark, and those were the places that were most genuinely awesome where... I keep questioning, do you think that ever any Indian would have ever been to those areas? But like what you get in return is like seeing the world beyond the McDonald's. It's not like a lonely planet manufactured image, but something that truly is meant to be witnessed and you can't narrate it through a formula of a told story, but it has to be and it will be your story. So yeah, I'm always chasing those places. It's been great in the last 10 years. Well, yeah, because to your point, I mean, the world has become so, we've talked about this fetishized in a way where we have these preconceived notions of how the world works and cultures that we just, everyone sort of leans into the narrative of what's been prescribed and told. And 
And we don't really kind of make our own judgments or decisions or experiences sometimes because it's packaged for us and we just digest it and we spit it out. And that's how we consume the global world. If we even choose to partake in a global atmosphere, some people never leave their environment at all. So finding these places that are uncharted, it's very interesting. How do you even know where to go? Clearly, there's a wanderlust philosophy, but is it intuition? Is it mapped out? Is it planned? How do you do this, Mokul? Most of my travels, actually, 80% of my travels are actually done from a place of commissioned works. You know, like as a journalist, you get to access very interesting spaces that are having a great story of its own like 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 for example uh, there's this town called Faridabad which is right next to New Delhi which is where my childhood was just to know Faridabad is like this industrial town but the fact is that when the partition of India happened the Afghani and and the Multani tribes kind of migrated to that particular region and like the city was formed based on that and that kind of history and that kind of like consequence to a place and it's not very recent it's like 60 years ago but it's not even that old unlike in the other parts of the world where things are much more documented and there's like a story or a narration that's like very fit to like this is what san francisco is this is what new york is this is what the depression did i don't think there's so much documentation so just knowing a little bit of the idea of what it was and going there and really understanding the place from the point of view of first-hand experiences of people who have dwelt in there that for me is like the key point of being interested in a space and there are certain spaces which kind of speaks to you that's why after 48 countries i think i just stopped counting and i was just like i'm going to go back to the countries i've explored already because there were certain places that just stood out and i had to leave because my flights were already booked you know the conundrums of having a two way ticket which is important at times so um yeah i pick those places and i always locate stories that are important to be told there is definitely a pattern of things i like and that is just like i do like the uncharted in a way that like the tribal communities or just just communities that are not documented not told about not part of the mainstream narrative because i feel like everything is as you mentioned it's just like a copy like the old is the copy of new and new is the copy of old there is a world in between and i think that it's easy to spot it once you actually know a little bit of history about the areas so yeah Yeah, and I also think that culture is something that is at the core really important to you and your work and is the foundation for your storytelling in a lot of ways too. A hundred percent. I think that I weave my own cultures and I, I, I definitely hold a lot of pride in that. Like that's something I'm interested in. I did this amazing app which actually talks about the priorities you have in life and I was prioritizing what I truly want and it, was it expression? Was it was it fashion? Was it that gets me to creative action? And I think for me to uh, see cultures and to weave particular cultures, to narrate stories of cultures that have not been told the identity has not been given to those identities already you know there's not like okay this is what aboriginal people are like and there are these vivid descriptions so yeah cultures definitely move me it just makes me feel so much more curious about the planet we live in the people who have come there the stories they've had uh, and how their identity has shifted from their fashion or their expression i mean there's so much there's so much mix of unique stories cultural feelings emotions uh, uh, explanations of life and existentialism and mm-hmm. philosophy that goes along so yeah i'm just like this is for me is like intellectual food for my brain yeah and so, the world yeah. is your playground 
It is. It really is. <laughs> Until the pandemic happened, I, it was definitely my playground. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that because I know, and you know, I have other friends in India that you know right now, it's really it's a tough time, and there's a lot of tragedy going on. I'm I'm just wondering what your perspective is from your homeland and and seeing that and how that impacts you emotionally and just what your thoughts are and what's happening in India right now. It's interesting you asked that, Zara. Before this conversation, I was talking to my friends back home, and I'm actually calling them a lot. It's shocking, to be honest, and it's just like a big reality check of a lot of different things, uh, because India has pretty good medical, as where I had known, like, um, and having seen different other bigger countries as well. And it's just like the first wave was handled so amazingly for a country of a billion, but the second wave just it just doesn't look real. It just looks like super uh, gory if that's the word mm-hmm. if it, it looks super vivid and i know it's like one of the most strongest uh, uh, read of the virus that have come up it's called the indian <laughs> corona uh, mutant now um, but it's just very shocking um, and i think that uh, it's also the government which now finally people are able to talk about which has been so unsuccessful in doing it's basically this government is like the trump era of america so it's just like okay we've seen it all but this just like tops it up and it was completely avoidable um the oxygen wasn't there people weren't dying because of corona as much as they were dying simply because of oxygen and that's just so shocking and appalling that there's so much of bureaucratic corruption and things were donated to countries before even our own individual needs as a country was met and then complete fiasco complete fiasco but there's a huge difference like just in america as the people of the country versus the government of the country and i think that it's usually the most powerless people who are suffering yeah india is going through a very 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 tough phase i think the toughest phase i could have ever imagined and uh it's hard it's extremely hard personally to see that um i'm having a hard time personally <laughs> just seeing yeah. this like wow this this i did not expect something like that to happen i look at the tragedy and i feel helpless how can people help? I mean, what do you do? Oh, that's a really hard question because I'm myself going through a very existential questioning. I've always been a very non-totalitarian person, like individualism, and not like how individualism is shamed now in the West. But like, I think that um, individual action definitely takes people places. And I just think that what do you do when something like this happens? And as I said, like it's a complete fiasco from the side of the system, they're not even allowed to say the government. So it's just like, why is it that the most um, innocent, um, the most harmless humans yeah. suffer the most out of something which wasn't even their fault? So it is a question, and I don't believe in like naming that this is a problem of the privilege or this is a problem of a generalized idea of a particular skin color or that, 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 right. that. It's a lot more complex. It's a lot more twisted. And I just think that uh, um, the pandemics, as what I said before, kind of took away the countries from the branding they had. And mm. I think that I was really proud so far how India dealt with the, 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 the disaster so far. But just seeing this happen, I'm feeling super paralyzed. Like that's how personally I feel. I feel super paralyzed because I kind of want to help. I just recently did a sort of like a crowdfunding in which I was giving uh, people prints. I'm going to ship them out and raise like $3,000 in like a day, like less than 24 hours, which was very surprising. because like, okay, people show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great. So uh, that is definitely a good hope. Like, I feel like in the most uh, hardest of times, India, which was really tried to be divided in the last 
five or six years of this particular regime is what I'll call it, is now getting together and getting to action. The Sikh communities are temples where they're giving oxygen cylinders on, on an Uber. You can drive to, through an Uber and the people will give you oxygen cylinders. You can breathe as much as you want and oh, then wow. you can go. They won't ask you your name. They won't ask you your thing and it's happening. So just the kind of the kind of support, the kind of kindness that I've seen in India around times like this is unprecedented. But right now it's at an extreme. And that's where I hold extreme pride in. Like, I think it got me my, a little bit of like love-hate relationship with India. It's more like love-love right now because I'm separating the government away from the people. And yeah. like, seeing that sense of kindness is empowering. And to be honest, that's the least we can do. We could just afford to be a little kind and, yeah. you know, just go out as much as we can without, you know, like being so hard on yourself. I'm reminded in times like these to pray for other people that I don't know that are going through situations. And I believe in the power of prayer and I believe in the power of gratitude. And I think that that energy goes into the world and makes a difference. That's what I think. I think so. Yeah, that definitely sends a good vibration. Although to tell you the truth, <laughs> this is something that might like come across very vividly. The coronavirus scene that has happened right now is actually because of a religious gathering in which people started praying for corona, which was like millions of people. I'm coming from India and having a global mindset. I'm just like, you know, like there is a sense of personal spirituality, which is what you mentioned, prayer, which is amazing. I think it just... Which is different from religion, let's just be clear. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I feel yeah. like there's a very thin line, especially in India, it's just like, okay, that's what it is. I, I think religion or God or even whatever concept is such a personal concept mm -hmm. and it's it should be that way. So yeah. it's like... Yeah, no, I agree. This goes back to the notion, which to me, you're a very spiritual person because your worldview, your personal perspective of believing in a calling and following the dream of who you are in this boundless living is a clear ethos that is authentic and honest to who you are that drives everything that you do. Yeah, I, I, it's very well put, Sarah. Thank you for those amazing words. And I think that personally, I definitely feel that I, I believe in life. I believe that it's one life and it could not be or it could be, but I don't want to take a chance. <laughs> so it's one life and I want to live it up to the fullest. I have seen my father, seeing him pass away was a very big reminder for me to never, ever, not even a second of my life take for granted. I get so anxious when I get bored because I'm like, I'm not living it right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I'm boosted with energy, even though I am a little somber right now because of India, but like I'm always filled with full energy and I want to give it my full, be it my assignments, be it just meeting my friends or like having the best of conversation and being authentic because that's the least we can do to respect ourselves in a world that does not like authentic people. Yeah. And yeah, in that way, I definitely think I'm very, I would say, patriotic to mm. this life, this universe, this world without the country. And uh, my travel experience has always enabled and helped me see hardships and the beauty of the world. And I love it all. Like I accept it with open arms, whatever comes my way. I'm like, give it to me. I love this life. It is amazing to experience and witness it. Yeah. And that may be spiritual. <laughs> it, it really is amazing. I, I feel the same way. I, when you get older, you feel this sense of deep, special gratitude for the moments and the time that we have because on this earth it, it isn't infinite you know it, it it's full of these moments and they're just fleeting so to capture them and to really run with them 
I agree that that's what drives me and you know the calling when you wake up in the morning as you say is to mm -hmm. meet life and to kind of uh, creatively just taste it you know taste the, the the splendor because it is quite wonderful i'm an extremely shy and introvert person and i'm very okay with that i know in the western world introvert is not a cool thing but in the eastern like in my country i think that i have been a nerd <laughs> i used to study a lot i used to finish my books much before the time of exams i used to love reading and i was a nerd and i was curious and it has always driven me. And I think that uh, I'm overflowing with life and I'm really proud of that. And I'm really gifted and I'm really having deep gratitude for me to able to sort out, you know, a lot of different things at a very young time of my life and actually move forward to things that drive me with passion. So what's your philosophy to fashion? So I love humans. Okay, so I, I love the planet because humans have lived in it and will live in it. Human greatness is unprecedented and I believe in humans. I believe the fact that we came this far because of our awesomeness and our rational mind. And I think that fashion that attracts me the most about fashion is the fact that it's humans that make it. I know the Rana Plaza debate and how in the West it's just like that is the main image of sustainability and I no, it was an important consequence, but that sense, that is not why I want to wear fashion. Like I have a very positive chemistry. My sustainability is I focus on the good for the good to grow. I've traveled to different artisan clusters across Asia and Indonesia, in Nepal, and I know them. Like I call them Didi, uh, which means a big sister to the artisans who I'm visiting in Nepal. And they make these clothes from the hands and they make like extra love. The yarn is done well because it's made for me. There's a huge personal connection. That's why it's so shocking when I saw the Westerners, it was like $5 for an h and shirt. And I was like, $5? <laughs> like, how is that even possible? I, I still don't know how that makes sense. It's terrible fabrics. Like I would never wear them. Like it just right. doesn't breathe. The stuff that they make out here at the hands, supposed to wear it for a while it's beautiful and you feel the imperfection and it's beautiful and it's a human that has made it for you it's special it's like a love letter you know mm. so um yeah for me that's fashion for me there's this sense of love affair and this affair of like i don't know it's something and someone that hugs you 24 7 it's gotta be cool it's gotta have a story so yeah, that's fashion for me. Fashion is a reflection of culture. Just knowing the history behind the clothes mm -hmm. of not as form of fashion, not as form of industry, but as form of identity, as what gave people the meaning of who they are, which one my wardrobe is mixed with so many different kinds of fabrics collected from different parts of the world. That for me is sustainability, the sense that I know those humans, they know me. And no matter mm. what anyone says that this is the new trend and wearing orange is the new black or black is the new green, I don't care. I'm going to wear it because I like it mm -hmm. and I'm going to make it a statement because I think it's mine and someone made it for me and it's respectful for only two of these parties. So let the third eyes go. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I love that. Recently, I've really been focusing on the power of fashion as a personal uh, expression of self. And I think there's been a, a sort of cultural overtake of meaning of fashion that's kind of removes the sense of identity or self-expression from the person that wears the garments or the fashion. So I'm really interested in the notion of going back to the power belongs to the person who wears the fashion, not as much as the culture that's associated to it, although that's very important, clearly. But I think we're sort of missing, you know, the whole point of fashion is to 
yes, identify and belong and, and communicate who you are, but it's also a creative expression of our sense of ownness and individuality. And that's the beauty of fashion, you know, right? Like we can, we can wake up in the morning and say, today I want to express myself like this and tomorrow I'll express myself like that. There's freedom in that. And I think that that's a very powerful, uh, creative sense of self that, um, not that it's getting lost, but I think it's becoming overpowered with all the meaning. And I, I don't want to lose that sense of personal identity to what you're putting on your body. It's your body at the end of the day, right? hundred percent. So but I mean, like internet is anyway so crowded and literally fashion is such a huge part of everything. It's kind of like saying water and there's so many aspects of water and kind of the conservation of water or like swimming in a water or surfing in a water. I definitely think I'm a very hard part of fashion right now. <laughs> like I love fashion so much. <laughs> It makes me who I am. It's my form of, it's my, it's my, it's my armor to the mm. world. You know, like I wear my clothes based on how I feel and I am very proud of my wardrobe. Most of it is made by me, but it's just like, um, yeah, I definitely see myself for fashion. Fashion could be the most liberating thing. Um, it is, yeah. it is one of the most liberating things. And yeah, the dialogues are also important, which is happening right now, yeah. but also important is the fact that um, each each of the things that we do, it's a sense of politics. Just like photography has a language, fashion mm-hmm. also has a language. And I definitely think that there's so many beautiful aspects, especially coming from India, which makes like fashion for the entire world. It's like, it's just knowing the heritage behind things is so beautiful and like the different aspects. And yes, 100%, the idea of self-expression and authenticity, identity, and the whole thing is just so like empowering I mean personally it has been really empowering I literally say this that I wear my moods like Mm -hmm. I have this monochrome wardrobe and then I have this extreme prints what am I feeling today and then just Mm -hmm. like wearing it and it it changes it changes a lot of things it changes the way I see the world and the world sees me so yeah well you are amazing you are a ray of sunshine I adore you and I'm so glad I got to talk to you Thank you, Zara. So glad we actually sat together once again and I got to talk to you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Unbiased Label Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please connect with us on social media, tell a friend, and leave a review. Please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. Until next time, stay well.